Thank you, Bob. The Irvine family has had a very special place in my life. Uh, uh, Bob's dad was the uh, principal of the school I went to. Bob's mother was my music teacher. But, but don't blame her for my singing. I mean, it, uh, she, did, she did her best to try to help me. And um, I was going to boarding school next to the Irvine house, and from time to time, the Irvines needed a babysitter. And let me just say, this is as far as I'll go with the stories, but no girls wanted to do the babysitting. <laughs> so uh, they called on me. And the thing that really made it attracting is that Mrs. Irvine said that I could do anything in the refrigerator I wanted. What she didn't tell me is, with boys like that, there's nothing in the refrigerator. <laughs> Anyhow, it's delightful to be here today, and uh, we're going to talk about the power of the gospel, and I will talk about it, but I would like to illustrate it both from Scripture, but also from uh, what's happening among Iranians in the world. And you're very much on the front lines here in this church, uh, seeing what God is doing inside Iran and outside Iran. So if you have your Bibles, I want to read a passage from Isaiah the prophet, who uh, prophesies about a day when all the nations of the earth will see the holy arm of God. So we'll begin with Isaiah 52, verse 7. And this is a wonderful uh, prophecy about the, those that bring good news to the world, the good news of Christ. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen, lift up your voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, you will see it with your own eyes. Burst into song of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And this is a verse that you should underline in your Bible. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful verse? And we're seeing that in a very special way in Iran. Then we turn to Romans 1 to read a little bit of Paul's personal sort of story or uh, convictions before he gets into the heavy theology of Romans. You know, Romans is probably the most complete and in-depth description of Christian theology. But the Christian theology, the man who wrote it, had a very simple testimony about his belief and trust in the reality and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So beginning at verse 8 and verse 1 of Romans, we read, First... I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, my God, by God's will, you may be opened uh, for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other. 
I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many, th many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now. <coughs> Excuse me. In order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the amazing scope of the, of the scriptures that take us back to Isaiah as he prophesies that there will be a day where all the nations will see and experience the presence and the power of your son Jesus. And we thank you, Father, for Paul's testimony that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. And so, Father, today as we contemplate the power of the gospel, that we may be open to its full uh, implementation in our own lives, that we might be open to say, yes, I want to experience the full power of the gospel, that which I'm not ashamed of, that which I know is the truth. And so I pray, Lord, that you take the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and make them acceptable in your sight, and that today we might hear from heaven and that our hearts will be strangely stirred by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I am not ashamed of the gospel. To be a preacher of the gospel, Paul tells us, you have to not be ashamed of it. You have to be convinced of it. And so I began to think, when, when was I first convinced that there was some power in the gospel? And it goes back to my early childhood in the church in Tabriz, Iran, where we worshipped in the Turkish language. And there were five blind men that came every Sunday to church. They held each other's hands, and they walked down the aisle, and they sat on the front row. And I liked to sit next to them because they had strange things. They had like a, 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 a Braille watch. And uh, it was always fun to see as the preacher was preaching for about 25 minutes, the Braille watch would come out. And they were wondering, like everybody else, is this ever going to end? But I remember seeing their faces as they sang praises. Their eyes were not working. But I felt they saw things that I couldn't see. They sung the hymns. They loved Christ. And that's where it began to touch my life. There is something powerful in the truth of the gospel. And what we're seeing is that the truth of the gospel is being manifested and people are finding that truth. And I want to tell you about a friend of mine. His name is Dr. Nuri, which means Dr. Light. And he was a professor at the University of Tehran. He taught world literature. And he came to Washington, D.C. And he found out that his daughter, of all things, had become a Christian in our little Iranian church in Washington, D.C. And that this big American guy named Tat had baptized her. <laughs> and so he decides to come to church. He sits on the front row, 
He's kind of, he was kind of a cool guy. He had a big ponytail. He was really, you know, cool, hip professor type of guy. He brought a big notebook, and I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm taking notes on your mistakes. I said, well, join the rest of the congregation, you know? <laughs> well, he, you know, for, for, for six months, he sat on the front row, wrote down almost everything I said. It was kind of annoying, you know, because he wasn't saying amen. He was just sitting there, you know. And then one day he calls me and he says, um, I want you to baptize me. I said, uh, what, who, you know, what happened? He said, well, um, one day I came back from church and all this stuff that you'd said was just running around in my mind and I fell asleep and I had a vision of Jesus standing over me and saying to me, you have heard it, it's time to believe. So then he started preaching to me, you know, and he started telling me, Tad, did you know that Jesus' death was a substitutionary atonement for all? I said, Dr. Dr. Nudy, don't waste your time. We've, we've, I've been preaching this for a long time to you. But the day came for his baptism, and uh, we would have Iranians write their testimonies out. And so he wrote a testimony using world literature, Camus and Shakespeare and his testimony took about a half an hour, but it was a masterful... And it didn't matter that we had four other people to be baptized, but anyhow, <laughs> time doesn't mean much in, in the Iranian church, as you've come to understand. And so after, after he was baptized, he said, now I want you to commission me to go back to Iran as a witness. And his wife was sitting in the back row, and uh, she said, no, 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 you can't go to Iran. She, she was not a believer, obviously. They'll kill you. And he said, it's okay if they kill me. So we're listening to this family discussion in the church. <laughs> and finally, he goes to Iran. And he writes me from Iran. And he said, it's a great place. I've gathered 12 of my former uh, colleagues at the University of Tehran. And we're doing Bible study. And six of them have already come to Christ. He became convinced of the truth of the gospel. Are you convinced of its truth? But there's also, are you convinced of its power? And now you can look at your own life. You can look at the lives around you. But having been preaching the gospel to Muslims for 40 years, I have been absolutely blown away at the power of the gospel to work in people's lives. A situation that reminds, lives in my memory is I was in Istanbul, Turkey, and I was going to one of these cheap, cheap hotels where most of the residents were Iranians. And uh, I would sit in the uh, I would sit in the in the tea room from ten in the morning to ten at night, and people would line up just to talk to me about the Lord. I didn't have to go anywhere. I just sat there, got my cup of tea, and they just lined up to talk. But one day we were having dinner together because because it was one of those cheap kind of restaurant uh, hotels where you know the Iranians all got together and made food together. Some didn't have enough money, and so there was a meal made. And I walked into this little room where we were supposed to eat supper. And there was a guy in the corner, like he was all huddled up and like he was almost like in a fetal position. And I said, who's that? They said, well, his name is Mohsen. I said, well, what's wrong with him? Why is it? We don't know. He's just been that way for a couple days. I said, you're just letting him sit there like that when not doing anything? And uh, they said, well, we don't know what to do. So I said, I, I can't enjoy my meal with Mohsen sitting there. So I went down and sat next to, Mr. to Mohsen. And I said, Mosen, you don't have to answer me. Just listen to me a minute. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your problems are. I don't know how depressed you are. But I, I ask you to just call on the name of Jesus for help. He actually showed no response. I prayed a little prayer with him and left the hotel that day. Came back the next day. 
And as I walk into the lobby, Mohsen is all dressed, he's shaved, he's clean, and he comes running to me, and these were his words. I was dead, and now I'm alive. And I said, well, what happened? He said, I got to thinking that if a big old American guy could come to my hotel room and talk to me in my own language, there's got to be a God. <laughs> and so there is a God. And Mosen discovered it, and he became convinced of its power. Now, the gospel, there's a paradox about the gospel. We know what the gospel is. It's the good news that God loves you and that he sent his only son to die on the cross for you. He bore all your condemnation and in exchange gave you his righteousness and he made you his son and daughter and you are new creation. But to receive the gospel is a paradox. You have to be humble to receive it. Everybody says it's easy, but in one way it's easy, but in other way it's the hardest thing on earth. It's the hardest thing to, on earth to admit that you'd like to have it, that you need it. And I have seen many people who've been, who have fought for a whole lifetime against it before life just wore them down until they got to a place where they were open. But the story I want to tell you was of a Kurdish woman, and I was sitting next to her in a program in, in, uh, in Stockholm where I was doing some preaching among Iranians in Sweden. And this woman had, uh, was showing me all the burns and marks on her arms where she had been tortured in the Iranian prison because she'd been part of the Kurdish resistance. And the Kurdish people in Iran have had a resistance towards their government. The Kurdish people in Turkey have resisted Turkey. The, the Kurds have been fighting for a long time for their own national identity. And this woman was a warrior for her national goals, and she had been tortured in jail. But she was a Christian now. And I said, how did that happen? She said, well, I was in jail, and, and one day the guards took me back to the wrong cell. Or the right cell. <laughs> and there on the bed in that cell, there was a Bible in Farsi. She said, now, I just thought I'd read it to find all its mistakes, be able to make more fun of the Christians. And obviously, there was no television. There was no other books. There was no magazines. There was no one to talk to. So if there's all there is one book in the room, you might just try reading it. And she did. And she began to read it. And then each night, she says... The Lord appeared in her cell and said, come to me. And she said, no way. Came the second night. And the Lord said, come to me. She said, no way. I'm a fighter. I'm a Kurdish resistance. I'm not coming to anybody. I can do it all myself. And that went on for 10 days. Every night she said to the Lord, I'm not coming. Well, on the 10th day, uh, she had a dream. And the dream was, that Jesus was teaching on a hill. She'd come to actually, actually the part in the Matthew about the Sermon on the Mount, and she actually had a dream about the Sermon on the Mount. And she saw Jesus teaching, and everybody was kind of moving up the hill to sit down and listen to Jesus. And she said, before I knew it, a force just in the dream picked me up and took me to sit at Jesus' feet. She said, I didn't want to be kind of Christian, but apparently Jesus wanted me to be one. <laughs> and she was a follower of Christ, and she had all kinds of marks on her body from being persecuted. So the paradox of the gospel is you have to be humble to receive it. And you know what? You have to be humble to experience it too. Or you have to be weak to experience it. By that I mean is you can't live. Those that were baptized today were humbly accepting 
the gospel, but to, to live the gospel and experience the gospel, you have to be weak in your own self. And none of us like to be weak. None of us like to admit it. But how many times have you felt weak? How many times have you felt powerless? How many situations have you been in and you just said, I don't know what to do? Now, I'm a pastor for 40-some years, and every Monday I write my letter of resignation. <laughs> every Monday I said, I, I, I can't do this. This, you know, I love you, Lord, but you know, some of your people are really hard to love. <laughs> and I, and working with, you know, I, I left, a, I was pastoring a church of 600 Americans, and I went to pastor a church of 18 brand new converts from Islam, and those 18 kept me busier than 600 Americans in the American <laughs> congregation. And one Monday, I was really discouraged. And what I do when I'm discouraged, and this is a confession, I go to Starbucks and buy a cup of coffee. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, 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 I just do. So I was in line to get some coffee in a little town outside of D.C., and there were two Iranian ladies standing behind me. Now, do I look like I understand their language? No. Iranians don't think I understand language. So these two ladies are talking freely about how much trouble they're having with their husbands. So I guess they were getting together to share their grievances. You know, my husband's worse than yours. <laughs> that, kind of thing. that kind of thing. And I'm listening, and I'm thinking, you know, I don't know if I should be, but I, they're talking Farsi. I know what they're saying. And then finally, one of the ladies says, well, you know, I don't know what's wrong with me. Maybe if I get a cup of coffee and a good piece of chocolate, maybe everything will feel better. I don't know what it's about chocolate and women. <laughs> and I just read a book by an Iranian author. It was called uh, Treating Illness with Water. A an Iranian doctor in jail, the only thing he had to give people to help them was water. So he, he built a case of high blood pressure. So when she says that, I had remembered that book, and I turned around to Farsi and said, no, 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 you don't need chocolate, you don't need coffee, you need to drink more water. I said it in Farsi. <laughs> I wish I had a picture. <laughs> I have never seen a human eye open so wide. And they looked at me, and they looked at me, and, and uh, said, who are you? I said, well, I'm a, I'm a teacher of the, of the Bible. And we started talking, and uh, then they said, let's just get one thing straight. Just please... Tell us, you don't know our husbands. <laughs> I said, I don't know your husbands. Then they did something very amazing. As I had gone in weakness, as I had gone ready to throw the towel in, God brought ministry. And these ladies, which has never happened, two Muslim ladies said, would you like to have coffee with us? And I sat down and for the next hour, I shared the gospel with them. And as one lady got up, these were exact words. She said, this was a divine encounter. She said that. And I said, you're right. It was. God still can use me. I feel better already. So the gospel's paradoxical. You have to be humble to receive it. You have to be weak to experience it. You have to depend on him. I'll just throw one more illustration. I, when I was first starting to preach, I preached this one sermon in my church, and it, you know, it's one of those sermons that really zinged, and it was hot, and so I marked it with a red star, and I said, whenever you need a good sermon, do this one. So I got invited to another church, and uh, I didn't have time to pray, I didn't have time to do anything, but I knew I had that hot sermon. So I pulled that out, and I took it with me, and that hot sermon wasn't hot anymore, and that, that was the hardest sermon I ever preached. I felt like stones were just rolling out of my mouth, 
and people were falling asleep, and some were looking at their calendars, and it was just getting really, really bad. So you have to be weak. Even before you come up here and preach, you have to be weak and say, Lord, I can't do it without you. And then you must be humble to receive it. You must be weak to experience it. And you must be surrendered to represent it. You know, people don't want to just hear the words of the gospel. They want to know if it's real. Especially, I think, today where there's, where there's no common agreement that there's any real truth. Wouldn't you agree? No. That, that people, you tell people about you, oh, it's fine. If that works for you, have a good time. It's great. There's no belief in truth. But you cannot argue with the reality that the gospel brings in your life. You must show it forth. You must have the, the fragrance of Christ. My wife liked to pray for Iranians that she would find in the newspaper. And one day she found a rug store that was offering a free sample. And my wife cannot cannot avoid a free sample, whatever it is. <laughs> so we went there, and I was not in the mood to go looking through rugs, so I said, I'm going to sit in the car, you go get your rug sample, and when I'll be here waiting for you. So she went in, and it was a long time. I said, I wonder what happened. And then she finally comes out, Tat, you've got to come in. The store is run by Iranians, and there's people here that have been looking for a church. And I hung my head, and I walked in, and I realized that I had not been surrendered to be used. I had my own agenda. But we met a family there that for a year had been searching for an Iranian church. And they came to our church and accepted the Lord. So the paradox of the gospel is you have to be humble to receive it. You have to be weak to experience it. And you must be surrendered to represent it. But here's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel is that it changes lives. It changes lives. Um, there's so many lives that I have seen who have been completely changed. I've seen those that were free from drug addiction. I've seen those who were healed from great uh, uh, diseases. Uh, those that were lost, and it goes on and on. But one of the stories that I like so much was that um, uh, an Iran, Iranian lady in Karaj, suburb of Tehran, was watching our satellite, and we play the Jesus film um, every, you know, every so weeks or months. We play the Jesus film again, and sure. She was watching the Jesus film, and at the end of the Jesus film, if you've ever seen it, it's lovely in Farsi, uh, the, the moderator comes on, and he reads the verse, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man open, I will come in. And when, when the film got to that place, exactly when it says, Behold, I stand at the door, there was a knock at her door. Coincidence, of course. Knocked at that door. And so she's watching the thing, and she's, she's backing up because she doesn't really want to disengage, but she doesn't know who's... And as she opens the door, a wind comes in that knocks her over. And she feels the power of God in a way that she never had. So she, she calls the, our station and says, can you play that movie again? That has a very interesting reaction when you watch that movie. And then she's telling other people, watch that movie. It'll change you. And so satellite has been a big way that people have been changing. There was a man in the bazaar who was having a lot of trouble with his wife. And uh, finally decides, I'll buy her a satellite uh, television. Then she'll, that'll, take, that'll keep her busy, and she won't be so irritable and hard to live with. So what he didn't know is the guy that came to uh, assemble the, the satellite system was a Christian. And he, he set the channel on a Christian channel. And he didn't teach the woman how to change channels. So for a, for a period of time, 
This woman turns on her satellite, and it's, you know, it's all Christian music and worship and so on and so forth. But she comes to know the Lord. And her attitude changes immensely. She changes. And her husband is very impressed with the change. And so now he sits in the bazaar, and every man that comes and says, I'm having trouble with my wife, he says, get her a satellite. <laughs> a lot of people are coming to Christ in Iran because lives change. Amen. Did you know that Christ is, Christianity is growing the fastest among drug addictions, drug addicts in Iran, and prisoners? Because there's change. Because there's power in the gospel to change lives. But they're not only part of changed lives, the, the gospel also creates community. Creates community. We've had 11 Iranians come to Christ in our church in the last year up in Denver. And I interviewed each one. I said, what was it, what was it that you know, brought you and kept you? Some, some people come, stay a day or two, and then they leave. Other people come, and they never leave. And so they said there were two things. All of them said the same thing independently. We saw in this church that God answers prayer. So we pray boldly. We don't, you know, we, we pray for everything. And having said that, one of the, the eldest lady in our church in, in uh, Denver fell Friday night coming out of Bible study, and she broke her neck. She had seven hours of surgery yesterday. Her name is Mrs. Amani. She had seven hours of surgery, and she has not yet responded to that surgery. In other words, she's not showing any physical response. We don't know if she's paralyzed or she's in a coma. So we've been praying for her. We encourage you to pray for her. We don't tell God what to do. We pray and ask for his, his guidance and his mercy. And so it creates community. And the other thing that they said was, we can't understand how all of you like each other so much. <laughs> and uh, you know, see, in the Iranian society, there are different social classes. You know, people that are people that are doctors and lawyers and stuff like that, don't normally socialize with people that are taxi drivers. And, and it's just the way the culture is. So they walk into our church, and there's generals from the Shah's time, and then there's taxi driver, and there's just all kinds of everyday people. And they can't understand how you all get along so much. And they say, every time we're with you, we, we feel good. We feel like we're accepted. We feel like we're loved. In fact, one Iranian said, all my life I was trying to win God's love through my own efforts, and now I just celebrate his love because he's loved me. You can't win. You don't have to win God's love. He's already loved you. But when you realize it's not about how many rules and regulations and law that you keep. So it creates community. And lastly, the power of the gospel, it changes lives, it creates community, and it commissions ministry. It sets off us off into the world. And the Irvines went to Iran with a desire to minister. My mom and dad went to Iran with a desire to minister. My father-in-law went to Iran with a desire to minister. It was is what the gospel does. It makes you get out of your seat, get up, and get going. My father was born one of twins, and the first child was stillborn, was dead. And when he was born, he was premature, he was blue, before incubators, before all that kind of stuff, no one was sure he would live. And there was a distant uncle that had become a new Christian, was very energetic and excited and believed in prayer, and they called him to my father's side. And he laid hands on my father, and he said, Lord, we give this child to you, and we pray 
We pray that if you would heal this child, we consecrate him to Afghanistan. How many prayers do you think God hears like that? I mean, I know there's some people you'd like to send to Afghanistan, but, <laughs> but I, don't, I, don't know that, I don't know that you pray for your children. And so they never told my dad that that's the prayer that, that had been upon him, but when he, when he got to junior high, he was collecting pictures of the Afghan people. He had, he had scrapbooks of pictures of Afghanistan. And some of you that didn't remember that he'd been prayed for for Afghanistan. And when he finished his military duty after World War II, and he and my mom were married, and I was in the picture, they decided that they wanted to go to the mission field. They went to the Presbyterian Mission Board, and my dad said, I want to go to Afghanistan. I said, I'm sorry. Afghanistan absolutely accepts no missionary visas, no Christian visas. But they said, in Iran, we have six hospitals, and we're desperate for doctors. And my dad said, it's close enough. It's next door. I'll take it. And so my mother and father served in Iran for about 20-odd years until the hospitals closed. And then God called them to Afghanistan. And he spent, he was, they lived in Afghanistan during the Russian occupation. My mother ran, ran the guest house. Uh, you, you need a guest house in Afghanistan, someplace you know, where there's actually a bed and water and things like that. And so that was my dad's dream. But the gospel commissions ministry. And many years later, when I was a new pastor, the church in Iran wrote me and invited me to come to Iran to be the pastor of the Community Church of Tehran. Now, you have to know that uh, the Community Church of Tehran had had maybe six or 700 members, but a funny thing happened on the way of the mission field. A revolution occurred in Iran. And so 120,000 Americans that lived in Iran were gone. And, but how was I going to get into Iran? How was I going to get a visa from the Islamic Republic of Iran? Well, God worked that out through the offices of Ayatollah Talaghani, a friend of ours by the name of Bob Pryor, applied for a work permit and visa for me. And so uh, in the July of 1979, just four months before the hostage crisis, most of you are too, too uh, young to remember that, but some of you have seen it on the History Channel. So... Uh, <laughs> We went to Iran, and the church that had, had 600 now had six members. And my kids were the Sunday school. And God took us to Iran against all human logic and wisdom and gave us a year to be there. And the thing that was amazing is we began to see this amazing transition in the spiritual climate of Iran, where on Sunday more and more Muslims were coming to church. And uh, <clears throat> every Christian... Every Christian had a couple of Nicodemuses. I mean, the Muslims don't like to say in public that they're interested, but they'd like to talk to a Christian. So if you were in the church in Iran at that time, you'd have two or three people saying, can I meet with you this week? Can you tell me about Jesus? I want to know about it. And so we got to see that. And we were forever transformed by this new movement in Iran. How has God changed you? He changes lives. Where does he still need to change you? He creates community. Are you a part of a community? I know you come to church here, but do you have close Christian ties in a small group or whatever where you can be honest and real and gain spiritual help and encouragement? And what's the ministry that the gospel has called you to? He hasn't just called us to get blessed. He's blessed us to be a blessing. He's blessed us to, to have us do things. Now you might say, well, 
Well, Tat, you know, you knew, you know, Farsi, and you do this. It doesn't matter what you know or don't know. The question is, are you available? I love that story about Moses, and I'll end here for those of you that are watching your watches. Uh, I'll end here that Moses, when God called Moses, he was 80 years old. Do you think he had a, some good excuses? I'm 70, and I got a few excuses. I don't know how old you are, but we can use that. And every excuse that Moses gives, go back to Exodus 4, I think it's Exodus 4 or 5, all these excuses that he has, God says, I'm not interested in excuses. I'm interested in one thing. Moses, what is in your hand? What was in his hand? The staff. And what did God say? Throw it down. Became a serpent, and he picked it up. And the whole rest of Moses' leadership is tied to that staff. Here's what God's asking you. Simply this. What's in your hand? What's in your hand? No excuses. What's in your hand? Will you throw it at my feet? I got time to pray. Uh, I like to be with people. I like to make cookies. I like to do, like to read to people who can't read. Whatever it is that you can do, God is simply saying, will you not use excuses and just cast what you have? That's all. I, I'm dyslexic. I, ha I got to sixth grade and I couldn't even read. And people were telling me to forget college. You know, maybe I could become a good plumber or something. And I applied to six colleges, and I got accepted at one, so it was real easy to decide where to go. <laughs> and then I realized all God wanted was me to say, you know, that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm willing. I give what it comes. Ten years ago, the Iranian church called me and said, we want you to teach on the sat satellite in Farsi. And I laughed. I said, are you kidding? That'll be an embarrassment to the church. I got eighth grade Farsi. You know, you want somebody that's, you know, very, very well pronounced and can speak well. They said, no, we want you. And I kept saying no. And finally I said, I have to say yes. And to my amazement, that to hear an American Christian speaking Farsi to the people of Iran turned out to be very effective. They, they really, they thought, there's one American that likes us, you know. Really. I mean, a lot of Iranians don't really think you like them. They like you, but they don't think you like them. And so God has used that. So I just look back on my life and see every time that I was weak, every time that I was feeling inadequate, that's when God worked the most. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you are God that does the impossible. And you changed our, our proudful self-centered hearts to be men and women who love you men and women who want to follow you and father we we want to share that the best part of our whole life has been following you that's where all the fun has been that's where all the joy has been that's where all the sense of being used has been so as you know each one of us in this room call us today lord call us to the gospel call us to the power of it commission us use us for your glory in jesus name amen